Hi, this is Scott. Welcome to Curiosus Animus. This is my initial initial uh, introductory pod, and uh, I want to thank you for taking the uh, time out of your day to give this a listen while we explore a few different topics. I'm a generalist. Uh, a little bit about myself. I have worked in a number of different fields for various amounts of time. I've been uh, a small arms and artillery repairer in the U.S. Army for just shy of six years. I was a cabinetry installation guy. I did um, apartment building maintenance for a number of years. Uh, auto mechanic, diesel mechanic. I've done a bunch of different things. And in that time, having these different experiences has let me find a lot of correlations and parallels between different subjects that may or may not be there, but at least on the surface, it's an interesting thing to consider. So in that, uh, I would like to first start this episode off by expressing my gratitude for everybody who has that time today to listen to this pod again, and also, uh, for just being alive. I think it's very important that we hold a space of appreciation for the way we consider the world and where we're at in it. Even if that disposition isn't so wonderful, sometimes it's important to hold a place for the bitter as well as the sweet, in my opinion. So let's get into some of the fundamentals of some of the things that we may be exploring on this channel. Firstly, we're going to dig into the electromagnetic spectrum. What I want to get into this about is because the electromagnetic spectrum is essentially everything in our perceivable universe. What we call visible light is a sliver of the electromagnetic spectrum. It's encompassing everything from radio waves, uh, cellular waves, Cosmic, cosmic radiation, background radiation, x-rays. It's all here in this screenshot. So the radio waves are considerably slower than infrared, which is what uh, heat is. It's what FLIR infrared cameras pick up, right? They pick up the body temperature of people moving around in an area where the ambient temperature is cooler than their own emissions. So... What's interesting about our senses and the electromagnetic spectrum is the eyes are only able to pick up from um, violet to red, really. So when you start getting to near infrared and into infrared, it moves out of our visual range. Um, you will sometimes pick up phenomenon from infrared, for example, uh, heat waves, you know, on a, on a hot road or in the desert the um, optical illusions of an oasis being there from the distortion. However, that doesn't mean that the other things that are going on within the electromagnetic spectrum don't affect you, right? Just because we don't have the sensory organs to pick up uh, what's going on doesn't mean that it's, it's not happening. For example, uh, microwaves are well outside of our spectrum, right? We, we can't see them at all. But if you're exposed to them, 
for long enough, you will die. So uh, it happens. With light being not necessarily the ultimate feature, right? It's just a little little part of it. So the <laughs> excuse me. You'll have to forgive me. This is my first one, folks. So please bear with me. It's what we call the perceivable universe, as I refer back to my notes here. We've got our five senses, right? We have sight, which is what we use to detect the visual light spectrum. We've got sound, right? Not necessarily part of the visible light spectrum, but, but it does get incorporated through vibration. There's taste, smell, hearing, touch, right? What we use our nervous system to detect in our immediate area. A person who may not have the gift of sight will have heightened other senses, you know? And so they're able to feel a little bit more sensitively with other senses or physical touch. That sixth sense is really an interesting thing though. The sixth sense, I believe, is the human body picking up its perturbations in the, the electromagnetic field that you normally wouldn't be able to perceive, right? We do have a, a biological electromagnetic field of our own bodies, right? As electricity moves anywhere, it follows the right-hand rule. And as the electrons flow or electricity flows, it generates a magnetic field and a right-hand corkscrew in the direction that it's moving. So as electricity travels through your nerves, it's generating magnetism, and there's a larger uh, bioelectromagnetic field that our bodies produce. Some people call them an aura. Other people call them different things. But that field is still there one way or the other. So to, to move forward in this general direction, I want to come across or bring to your attention something called emission theory in regards to vision. It's, it's, it's actually quite old. Um, Empedocles postulated that everything was composed of four elements, fire, air, earth, and water. And he believed that Aphrodite made the human eye out of the four elements. And that she lit the fire in the eye, which shone out from the eye, making sight possible. Now, if this were true, then one could see, you know, during the night as well as during the day. And so Empedocles postulated that there were two different types of emanations that interacted in some way. One emanated from an object to the eye and the other emanated from the eye to the object. And he compared these outward flowing emanations to the emission of light from a lantern. And around 400 BC, the emanation theory was held by Plato. Around 300 BC, Euclid wrote, on, wrote optics and cat, uh, catoptics, catoptics, excuse me which he studied the properties of sight, you could postulated that the visual ray emitted from the eye traveled in straight lines as described in the laws of reflection and mathematically studied the appearance of objects by direct vision and by reflection. Now, some folks may say like, well, I mean, this is ancient Rome. They're probably going off the best thing 
information that they had. You know, the philosophers are what they were. Modern Western medicine says that, or you know, uh, science in general frequently likes to remove this topic as a possibility. It says that light is produced from a source, refracts off of surfaces, and if close enough to the eye, will bounce into the eye and you will perceive that surface as the light is reflected off of it. But we also have strange examples of emanation from the eye in terms of electricity. Here is a uh, document, a research document, Electrophysiological Properties of the Human Ocular Extramission. And this is uh, by a Dr. Colin A. Ross. In the abstract section here, it talks about the author presenting evidence and supporting a hypothesis that the human of that human ocular extramission, the extramission or the emission of brain waves through the eye can be detected used using a QEEG equipment or a two-channel neurofeedback equipment. High impedance electrode housed inside of electromagnetically insulated goggles were employed to make sure no physical contact with the body and about two centimeters in front of the pupil. Readings were taken with the two-channel biofeedback equipment and with a QEEG, and the waveform of ocular extramission is physiologically active compared to the reading from a controlled control electrode suspended in a space in front of the goggles. It is similar to the waveform of a frontal leads and overall structure and an appearance of an eye blink and muscle artifact in the tracing combined with an absence of heart artifact, artifact, excuse me. The waveform for a control electrode was shown only consistent high frequency, low amplitude background and a heartbeat artifact. It may be possible to study a variety of disease states by recording ocular extramission using high impedance, non-contact electrode. And we'll fast forward through this whole paper because I don't think you want me to read it. But here down at the conclusion, it says, it is possible to detect human ocular extramission at a distance of about two centimeters in front of the eye using high impedance, non-contact electrode housed inside of electromagnetically insulated goggles. The waveform of the extramission signals closely resembles that at FP1 and FP2 using EEG equipment and has distinct properties from the signal at FP2 using two-channel biofeedback system. And the extramission waveform is distinctly different from that of a control electrode suspended in a space in front of the goggles. It will be that of, well, it will be of interest to study the properties of ocular extramission in a variety of disease states and also potential roles that the, it may play in the evil eye beliefs and other anthropological phenomena. Now, this may be anecdotal, but the average person, I believe, has had experiences with this. So when you're staring at somebody from across the room and they're not looking at you, how often has it occurred that they suddenly break contact from what they're looking at and turn to look you dead in the face? I bet it's happened to you probably more than once because I know it's happened to me far more than that. In that uh, interesting anecdote, 
another abstract from an anthropolo anthropological source. Uh, the abstract here saying a sense of being stared at is the basis of the evil I beliefs, which are regarded as superstitions because of the emissions of any form of energy from the human eye has been rejected by Western science. However, the brain waves in the 1 to 40 hertz and 1 to 10 microvolt range emitted through the eye can be detected using high impedance electrodes housed in an electromagnetically insulated goggles. Right? The signal, which the author calls human ocular extramission, is physiologically active and has a distinct electrophysiology, excuse me, electrophysiology, electrophysiological good lord properties from simultaneous brainwave recordings over the forehead western science rejection of the evil eye beliefs may be based on erroneous rejection of widespread component of human consciousness the sense of being stared at which may be uh, may in turn be based on electrophysiological signal the author proposes a series of future studies designed to determine whether the human ocular extramission is the basis of the evil I believes. So this is something that's been in human history for a very long time. The evil eye goes Italy, Greek, all that. Moving forward, uh, extramission versus intramission. Until recently, the theories of vision were divided into two camps. One of those were believing the extramission, where light is emitted from the eye, onto the surface of the things and then perceived and versus intromission where it's coming from an object to the eye. And this slide here will continue to break down what we've already discussed. Now, when our gaze is a physical force, scientific American, as we've already discussed, we talk about how you can feel somebody looking at you um, the gaze is a powerful element of social interaction and it reveals when a person is focusing their attention. Oftentimes people get a little, uh, even offended if you're not looking at them in the eye when they're having a conversation. It can play a role in social organization and uh, demonstrate social dominance. Gaze aversion indicates passivity. Eye contact can elicit alertness and body awareness while indifference to a aversion to eye, count, on, eye contact can signal emotional or neurological disorders. So when I think about an a electrical discharge from the human eye, I think about sound and water. And let me break this down for you. It may seem like a stretch. But when you speak in air, even if you yell, your voice will never travel nearly as far as it would underwater. Now, why is that? It's because water does not compress at the same rate as gases, right? We have different states. So if you're yelling underwater, it will travel faster. Well, if you were emitting something, right? Electricity from your eye, either positive or negatively charged, if it's only going out two centimeters, people might say, well, that's not very far at all. But the fact of the matter is you're surrounded by gases. So as you're emitting this charge, it's going to interact with the gas. Now, what if that charge was able to move in a direct beeline towards the direction that was it already initially sent from? Is that fact? It's 
I'd say it's more like speculation, but it's worth consideration in my opinion. Now, beyond the eyes, both sending and receiving information at this point, which there are a number of articles here from which you can pull that information. Uh, Feynman studied it. Uh, the doctor I had mentioned before, uh, goodness, I forgot his name, Ross, excuse me. The eyes are in constant sending and receiving of information with our environment in the electromagnetic spectrum. Furthermore, here at mindhacks.com, your ears emit sound. Now, around 1994, I want to say it was, is when they first really figured out that the ear emitted a tone. There's a fascinating article on the evolution of hearing in The Scientist that also provides an interesting gem. In addition to amplifying hair cell activity, these active mechanisms manifest as spontaneous movements of the hearing organ oscillating even in the absence of sound stimuli. Such spontaneous movements are actually, actually produce sound that is emitted through the middle ear to the outside world and can be measured in the ear canal. So that means that your ears are regularly emitting a tone. So if your eyes are emitting light or electricity and your ears are emitting tone, I don't know. We have a sending and receiving situation, right? It's a two-way channel. What are you sending out through your ears? What could that tone be? We know that tones are oftentimes used in uh, various meditations. They're also used in uh, psychotronics. It's pretty neat to consider. Spontaneous autoacoustic emissions were valued in this study here. Excuse me. Let's get back into this. I, I wondered whether this applied to only non-human animals, and it says it's not clear from the text in the scientist article, but a brief search brings up various studies of spontaneous autoacoustic emissions in humans, and that's not A-U-T-O, that's O-T-O acoustic, right? A little excerpt here, spontaneous autoacoustic emissions were valued in 36 female and 40 male subjects in agreement with the results of the previous surveys, emissions were found to be more prevalent in female subjects, and there was a tendency for the male subject to have fewer emissions from the left ear. Now, we know that the right hemisphere of the brain is the housing of the creative and subconscious mind. It's also said to be um, one's connection to the divine, right, or, or the ethers, whatever you want to call it. It would as the right hemisphere controls the left side of the body and vice versa, it's interesting to consider that there may be less sending and receiving to the subconscious for, for men if they're more left brain oriented. Now, that, it's pretty neat stuff. And I'm not saying that any of this is um, concrete fact, but I am presenting this for your own mental exercises and considerations. Now, with this all being presented to you, this is the kind of stuff that I want to get into. I'm looking to explore topics in regards to frequency. Uh, field theory is another interest of mine. We'll be looking at some of the 
psychedelic interactions with the human brain and how the human brain uses the same mechanisms and machinations to generate your subjective reality that it does with subjective hallucinations. It's like, as Alan Watts says, you know, trying to bite your own teeth. You're using the same machine to interpret everything. So this being just an introductory episode, I, uh, it'll be short and I hope that you will join me in the future. Thanks for your time and have a fantastic day or night, whatever time this happens to find you. Farewell.